Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 25, and we're going to start here looking at verse 28. This morning we continue our series, Faith-Driven Stewardship, Faith-Driven Stewardship, and just a reminder of how we define stewardship. A steward is one who has been uh, set in charge or has been given a responsibility of an owner, and so we are stewards of all that God owns, all that God has created. He has placed us as stewards on this earth. And so when we look and examine our lives, we don't own anything that we have. Um, That doesn't mean you don't own your home, but you don't own it, okay? (laughs) You say, well, what are you talking about? Here's the truth. God owns that home, right? God, God, it's God's, it's God's house. This is God's house. Your home is God's house. As stewards, we are put in charge um, of all that God has entrusted to us. And as stewards, we are called to do what he would do. And so part of uh, living as stewards is allowing faith to drive us, faith to move us forward as we care for his things. And so faith-driven stewardship, last week we looked at scrutinizing, scrutinizing our own lives, not our neighbors, not our spouses, not our children, not other people's lives, but scrutinizing our own life because we need, God calls us to continually examine our life, to scrutinize it. And as we do that, we come and we are reminded over and over again of God's goodness, his perfection, his, his, his justness, his rightness. Uh, righteousness, his, his his glory, and his holiness. And we realize who we are. We aren't the scum of the earth. We're his creation. And he's made us in his image. And yet we fall short of the perfectness of who God is. And so continually examining and scrutinizing our lives, we submit ourselves below God and his authority and who he is. And as children of God, as followers of Jesus, we're called to constantly scrutinize our life, examining it and making sure it's in line with who and what he wants us to be. Today, we want to look at self-control. I can't believe you guys showed up. I told you that last week. You know, we're going to talk about self-control and you guys all still came For those of you who didn't hear that last week, I'm sorry you missed out. You can still leave if you want, but um, I'm just teasing. I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm excited to walk through um, something that we all struggle with. And when we look at this aspect of faith-driven stewardship, uh, self-control, having a self-controlled life, is something that every one of us in some area of our life we wrestle with, right? If you would be honest with yourself, there's something probably that you wrestle with or have wrestled with. Um, Maybe you're on a high right now and you're not wrestling with an area of self-control, but we're going to walk through this and look and examine our life. Uh, Proverbs 25 says this, verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. 
And I think of that, and here's a picture that I think immediately, I, th- I go back uh, to Nehemiah. And I, 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 I just see Nehemiah as he's getting this message of, of here the wall in Jerusalem has been crushed. It's been decimated. The city's been decimated, but the wall has not been repaired. And Nehemiah is so overcome with grief. He, he tries to do his normal daily uh, cup bearing before the king, but his countenance, he can't hide it. And the king realizes it. Why? Because the city doesn't have a wall. Here, the, the writer for us here in Proverbs says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And so we can picture, we can probably think of other people, but even in our own lives, we can think of those times where we lack self-control and it may grieve us, it should grieve us, just as Nehemiah saw the walls were broken and unrepaired. We grieve that, the lack of self-control. And so when we look at this, uh, self-control covers a lot of areas of our life, right? And uh, whether it's your temper I won't, I won't ask you to raise your hands as I walk through this list, okay? Um, but you think about this. Um, you, ever, you ever lost control of your temper before? Um, again, I won't ask you to raise hand. I just saw one hand, but I won't point out who it was. But, or, or what about your appetite? Lost self-control over your appetite? Oh, yeah. I did only have one donut on Donut Friday, though, this week. Because I knew I had to preach today. So, um I had to live out what I preach, right? Our appetite. You think about our emotions, having control over our emotions. What about substances, other substances, self-control, tongue. You have self-control over your tongue, not just temper, but your tongue. What about sex drive? As you think about that and our world that is driven so much Self-control in that area. What about work? Self-control and work? Now we get on our young people and we say that a lot of them are lazy and don't have enough drive to work hard. But I think there's another part of that that's on the other spectrum. Where we don't have self-control when it comes to work and that balance that God desires. Or what about spending? I know we just came off of Christmas. Don't want to step on too many toes, all right? I love giving gifts. It's like a love language of mine, right? Uh, I, I love it. I, I don't really care to receive them. I'd rather give them. It's much greater to give than to receive. I take that literally in my life. And, uh, and yet, you can find quickly, like, my spending can get out of control, Right? So those are a few areas, and maybe you think of something else in your life, uh, that are filled with opportunities for us to indulge in excess, all right? There are countless ways to gain or to achieve more, but the question is, what's the cost? What's the cost, and where will you be left? That's what self-control is about as we think about faith-driven stewardship. And having self-control. As faith-driven stewards, we're called to live by God's word. As he is the creator and he's the owner of all that we have. And all that we enjoy. 
we remember that, again, we are the stewards. We're not the owners. And so while we enjoy God's creation and the things that he's given us to enjoy, you know, we are not to hoard those or to claim those as ours. We're also not to look to them as providing the one thing that only God can provide. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. God's word is his instruction to us. Sometimes I feel like I'm uh, a broken MP3 player that keeps playing it over and over again. Some of you didn't get that, but when an MP3 player breaks, it's broken. It doesn't like skip, but a record player does. When we come to this word of God, do, do you truly, do you believe that everything you need for every area of your life is in this. See, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us that God's word is given to us for our instruction, for guidance, for correction, for training. Why? So that the messenger of God may be complete, that we would be equipped for every good work. Right at our fingertip are the answers. While knowledge is important, and Peter tells us this in Second Peter, uh, uh, verse one, verses five and six, and I'm, just to forewarn you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach about this passage sometime down the road. It's an awesome passage. Found it last year in the middle of the year, and I'm like, whoa! When you do these things, like you can't fail. That's what Peter says. That's why I'm going to preach it. It's really awesome. So we'll go through that down the road, but. Peter says here in 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 5 through 6, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith uh, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. Knowledge by itself isn't just going to help us, but knowledge is going to help us to know what is right, what is wrong, and it's going to help us achieve self-control as God's steward. And so I start that as kind of like a no-brainer, but I don't want to just assume that everybody knows this. When we start with self-control, we have to have the knowledge of God's word. We must know it. We've got to study it. We've got to be in it. That's why knowledge is placed before self-control there with Peter. Because with knowledge, then self-control. Knowledge gives us the insight. It allows us to know what that virtue is as we live a virtuous life. And virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. And with self-control, then perseverance and steadfastness, we keep at it. Because we know that what, we've, what we're doing is actually what God has desired for us. It's not what I'm telling you this morning. It's not self-help. It's the word of God that we gain through knowing it. And then we get the knowledge of God. It's not just a book. It's not just ink on paper. It's the true, living, active, God-breathed insight that he wants for us. So, the 2006 study 
showed that people actually rate themselves lower in self-control than in kindness, fairness, honesty, gratitude, um, curiosity, and other areas of character. Self-control. We rate ourselves the lowest in that. The world's wisdom, when it comes to self-control, says that we need to manipulate the surroundings to our advantage. Some say it's training oneself through greater effort. Some will say that there's ways to regulate our behaviors so as not to do the things you shouldn't do. Others will encourage that there is something beyond effort, and that involves tempering our impulses by sur surfacing or bringing to light valued goals. All that to say, I, I think God has given us some tools to help us through self-control, with self-control. But here's where I feel like we fall short. The truth is, our behavior, our actions, our thinking, our speaking, all come from our heart. It shows something deeper in us. So as we live that out, it's showing us who we truly are. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us that we are to keep our heart, to guard our heart with all vigilance, because from it springs life. Not just because it beats and pours out blood. It's because it's who we really truly are. Jesus always dealt with individual sin issues at the heart before he tried to modify their behavior. Jesus didn't try to modify their behavior and then deal with their heart. No, quite the contrary. Jesus always went to the heart of the issue. It was their condition of why they were doing those things. So when we look at our lives and we start to examine, and we're, if we're honest in scrutinizing ourselves, this aspect of self-control shows us something about who we are. When I lack self-control, it's telling me something, a condition of my heart. I may try to mask that. I may try to fix that in many different ways. But if I don't deal with my heart, it will resurface in other ways and other means. So where can we get the self-control that we need to find the power in order to have self-control? I'm glad that you asked that. Do you know that self-control, Galatians tells us, is a fruit of the Spirit? Would you turn there with me in Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, we see here starting in verse 22... Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice what verse 24 says there. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when we think about this and we think about how do we gain self-control, self-control is a fruit. It's grown. 
It comes from a root. And that root is Jesus. We see in the Gospel of John that Jesus tells us to abide in him. And as we abide in him, he produces fruit in us. If we're in the vine, attached to the root, all right, then from that, from him, comes out fruit. If we don't abide, then we're worthless. We're thrown away because we are not producing fruit. So when Paul takes this and says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, the Spirit that lives inside of each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, that fruit can grow as we abide, as we are in Christ Jesus. And so, as followers of Jesus, Paul says it here in verse 24, if we belong to Christ Jesus... And let me just pause there for a second. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? Do you belong to him? Does he know you? I know some people get like Jesus knows everybody. Well, the truth is, is you might know him, but does he know you? Because at the end of the age, Jesus will cast aside and he will say to those who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, I never knew you. Does God know you? Does Jesus know you? Is he yours? It's very simple, in fact, and yet it's very profound. To move from, I'm going to live life my way, I'm going to do things my way, to abandoning that and saying, wow, the Bible tells me that God sent his son, Jesus, to this world and that Jesus went on my behalf and he died on a cross after living a perfect life. He didn't do anything wrong, sinless in all of his ways. Everything he said, everything he did, everything he thought was right. There was no sin in him. He died and not only did he die, he was buried and he rose again three days later and he did that. So that I would not live over here in my own selfish ways, but that I would live the way that the creator who made me, his desire and what it is for me, that I can know that, I can understand that, and I can walk in that. So I have to trust, it comes to that place where, uh, where I intersect between this is the way I want to live, this is how I want to live, this is what I think is truth. To defining and saying, do, am I going to take what the Bible says as this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to place my faith and trust in Jesus that he did die in my place. His blood was poured out to pay the punishment that my sin deserves. So when you sit here today, it's simple to say, oh, I believe there's God. James tells us that even the demons believe that there is a God and they shudder. It's not about believing whether there's a God there or not. It's whether you believe what Jesus did for you really happened and took place. And you're claiming that as your hope. You're depending upon one thing to make you right before the presence of God. Because each one of us will appear before him. Every person that has ever walked this face of the earth will appear before God. In judgment. And the only way that we get to enter into an eternal relationship with God forever in heaven 
is whether or not we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If our name is written in the Lamb's book of life with the blood of Jesus. That's the only hope we have. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, it isn't just about eternity's home. While that's joyous and wonderful, God calls us to much more than that. I think if that was all there was, then at the moment that I get saved and accept Jesus, he would call me home. Why would I need to continue to live here? But the Bible tells us that actually we're called as his stewards to be ambassadors for him. So that others may see that there is a real living God creator who gave his son, sent his son, and gave his life. So that they could have that relationship with God forever. For many of us, this is elementary. We've heard of this over and over again all of our lives. For some of you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing that. Maybe you've heard it and you think you've accepted it, but maybe you've never really truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I encourage you, that's the starting point. You can do everything that you want to do with this whole idea of stewardship and faith and, and, and self-control and scrutinizing. But if you don't accept Jesus Christ and what he has done it's all frivolous. It doesn't matter. It all boils down as the foundation that your faith is found in what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you believe that? I do. And so as Paul says here in Galatians chapter 5, those who belong to Christ, Jesus... I belong to Christ Jesus. Do I have any witnesses out there? We're such Baptists, like Northern Yankee Baptists. We're not Southern Baptists here. Like, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you belong to him? That's our starting point. So if that's true, all right, then where we're going to head is really exciting. Because I don't know about you, but I struggle with self-control. And I'm always looking for help. And the truth is, the word of God's given me that insight. It's a fruit. It's grown. All right? It comes from abiding in Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, before we jump to that, let's think about scripture. I think back to Jacob and Esau. The great reformer Martin Luther said uh, that all of us are either a Jacob or an Esau. And you find that story in Genesis 25 through chapter 32. And both of these guys kind of lack self-control. All right? And we see this in Hebrews 12, 16. The writer of Hebrews referenced back to Esau who sells his birthright for a bowl of, of soup. We say, oh, that's no big deal. No, no, no. When you got a birthright back in the Old Testament, like you're next in line. Probably best for us is we would say, we would look at the, the throne over in England and say, who's next in line to inherit that? All right? In that way, Esau is selling his birthright for a temporary uh, gratification. 
I have this in my notes here. Are we waiting? Do, are we good at waiting? Or we give in? Then if you jump forward, and you can turn there, Matthew chapter 4. Because the truth is, we have a God who does not know what it's like to live on this earth. In fact, we have a God who can sympathize with us because he knows exactly what it's like to live on this earth. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, we see this. Jesus is there in the wilderness, in the desert, with Satan. Satan, the devil, is tempting him. And his last temptation is here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. He says, if you just fall down right now, I'm going to give you all of this. Jesus responds and he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall not, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Our Savior, the one who went on our behalf and died in our place, who gives us life eternal, knows exactly what it's like to be tempted on this earth and to be, be challenged with self control. When we think of our lives and how we encounter and how we deal with temptation as faith-driven stewards in all those areas and more of life that I mentioned in the beginning, how do we have the power, how, how do we have the will, how do we have the strength to do what's right? How do we do what Jesus did? He didn't give in. He didn't bow down and say, okay, all right, I want all that. That's what I want. That's what I desire. And some of us would look at that and say, well, G Jesus had it all anyway. Why would he want that? That's another lesson for another time. Jesus was tempted. He had self-control. And in doing that, he shows us that we can have that power too. John Milton wisely noted, he who reigns within himself and rules passions, desires, and fears is more than a king. The steward who is in control will be both useful and effectively obedient, serving his master. As God's steward, what power is enabling you to live a self-controlled life. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the believers in Ephesus. He's giving them, giving God thanks. He's praying for them, and we see this in verse 19. In what is the immeasurable greatness 
of his power. Whose power? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ that he talks about in verse 17. The immeasurable greatness of Jesus Christ's power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. Now let me pause for a minute and let's go back to John chapter 1. When it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It says that, that the word was there in the beginning. That Jesus Christ was there. And then we jump to Genesis and we say that God spoke all things into existence. That's a power that you and I don't have. At least I don't think you have that. All right, right? <laughs> Honestly, we don't have that. Nobody can just speak and boom, it happened. God, Jesus Christ, there with him and the spirit, the, the, the fullness of God, the trinity of God, there in creation, speaks and there it is. You talk about power. Is there any other greater power than that? Paul's writing here in this verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Here we are. Again, we laid that foundation. If you're in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. God's power is being shown to us. And I want to argue, and I'm going to show you here in just a minute. It's not just God doing for us. It's actually the power that is inside of you and me. So let's jump over to Romans chapter 8. Verse 11. And we'll back up. Verses 9 and 10 are, won't be up on the screen, but verse 11 will be. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, then you can rest assured the Spirit of the living God is in you. He dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the same spirit of the living God that raises Jesus Christ from the dead, a miraculous event, right? Who can make life out of death? Only God can. God raises the dead. The spirit of the living God, that power is shown, is on display. And Paul is writing here for us, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the spirit of the living God, not the dead God, the living God that you belong to, if you belong to him. That same spirit lives and is abiding in you. Which means that power is at your fingertips. So should we walk around and say we're, we're superheroes? That we have superpower? In one way, yeah. 
Because we, we, we're, we're greater than any Avenger. Because every Avenger, every superhero is limited in some way. That's why the villains always attack them in that way. But yet then they overcome or they have some other superhero comes along and helps them defeat the bad guy. The truth is God has no weaknesses. God never falls short. And God of the universe, the creator of the universe, he abides. He is living inside of you and me. And that power is at our very beckoning. Not to do what we want to do. Not to be self-conceited. Not to indulge in whatever we want to indulge in. No, we've died to ourselves, and we are alive with Christ. And the life we now live in Christ, we live by faith, trusting that that power is inside of each one of us. And as we live each day and we encounter these various trials and hardships and temptations that are before us, we can say, God, I need your help. I need a little bit of that power to come out of my hand and shoot a web. I need great strength right now because this burden is so heavy. Whatever that looks like in our visual term of looking at superheroes, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others are way lost right now, and that's okay. The truth is, I get so excited about this. And yet I'm very convicted too, because a faith-driven steward is driven by faith. And yet there are many times in my life that I live by sight. I live by what I think I can do. And as we sang a little bit ago, we don't wait. We don't lean back. We try to solve things. We try to do things ourselves. And I'm telling you, the fruit, while it starts off small and it's difficult, and while we still make mistakes, the fruit of self-control, if we allow God to do it and we look to him and live life according to his terms, not our terms, we're living a holy and godly life, pursuing what is right, pursuing truth. We're allowing his word to be in the instruction, gaining knowledge of what life looks like. As we do that, that fruit of self-control continues to grow and grow and grow. And then when we're faced with temptations, we're like, dude, that wasn't even hard. And God says, yeah, because I healed you from that. I took that away from you. I gave you the power that it doesn't even capture you anymore. Who can do that? Only God can. But that's our God. That's my God. That's the God of the scriptures. That's the God that's available to you. That's the power that's available to us. It's difficult. I may make it sound really easy here this morning. There is a wrestling there's a war that's constantly going on. We talked about it in Daniel a little bit, where Daniel pulls back, God pulls back the curtain for Daniel to see what's taking place in this whole other realm that's all around us. It's war. It's a spiritual war. And when we can catch a glimpse that when we're tempted, when we 
when we struggle with self-control in this area of our life, that it's a bigger deal than just eating another donut or pulling something up on the computer that I shouldn't be seeing. It's a spiritual war that's taking place for our lives. God has given us the power to overcome that. And it comes only through Jesus. A life surrendered to him, a life continuing to be surrendered to him, to look to him, to follow him. And as we said earlier, abiding in him. You can't want that power and then go do your own thing. That's why I encourage you, I challenge you. You should be meditating upon the word of God every day and night. Why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. How many of us dig into the word on Sunday, but we'll go throughout the week and we'll be like, oh, I know, I, I'm okay. That's where our pride and our arrogance, we think we can figure it out until we hit rock bottom. And then we're like, dude, how do I get here? How do I get myself out of here? Fruit doesn't happen overnight. It's a continual growth. That's why I, I truly believe making our kids come to church, even when they don't, is actually a fruitful thing. Because while they don't know it and they may not desire that, they're continually being exposed to the truth of God's word. And there's something about that. I don't want to ask you how many sermons you remember in the last 20 some years that I've preached. I don't remember a lot of them. But I know that it wasn't just about one or two great sermons. It was the continual feeding on the word of God. And so we need that. We need to continue to do that together and individually on your own. And in sharing what God has shown you, what he's teaching you, how he's guiding you. So in closing, here's the question. Would the word controlled describe your life? Some areas of my life, yeah. Some I'm working on. And then there's others I need a whole lot more work. Let me encourage you. Don't work on it. You're like, whoa, my pastor said I don't have to work on self-control. That's not what I just said. Listen to the second part. Abide in Jesus. Tap into the power of the spirit of God that lives inside of you. Because that's how we overcome. That's how we see victories. That's how we give the greatest glory and praise to God through our life. That's when we can enjoy life and enjoy the God of this universe because we know our lives are all about him. His work in us. Don't get in the way of that. Don't try to come up with some formula that helps fix you without first coming to Jesus. He may give you people. He may give you resources that will help you. But we must always start at the power that the Holy Spirit that lives and abides in us. We must start there. Would you pray with me? Lord, thanks for your word. 
Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, just to grow and learn. Lord, we desperately need your help. When we're honest, we realize that, we know that. Oftentimes we come ashamed, and sometimes our shame keeps us from coming to you. Because we know we've failed, we know we've fallen, we know we've lacked self-control. And yet, Lord, you love us still. Your grace is abundant. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Your mercy is new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. Lord, we come pleading and asking for your help. Help us to be aware and in tune that we wouldn't just look for the power of the Spirit at those times, but because we are abiding in the vine, we are abiding in Christ, we're, we're, we're allowing you to give us life and not we ourselves living lives. But Lord, we're allowing your Spirit to guide us and direct us, your Word to instruct us and to give us knowledge. And as we do that, Lord, help us to walk obediently with you. Help us to see that it is much greater to tap into the power of the Spirit that helps us have control over areas of our life than to give into ourselves. And while we may enjoy just for that little bit of a season, you tell us that sin is sweet just for a season. And that ultimately its road is leading to destruction. We don't want to destroy our lives, Lord. And yet we need your power to be on display. So may we see that today, the week ahead, the days ahead, Lord. May we tap into the Spirit's power as we live for you. And may you help us as faith-driven stewards to live a life of self-control. Thank you, Lord, for being with us and helping us to be the children that you desire, to be the ambassadors that you desire so that the world may see that you are a good God who desires for all to come to know you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.